Turn with me in your copy of God's Word today to Matthew. We'll be finishing up the last few verses of Matthew 14 and then into Matthew 15. So we'll begin Matthew 14:34. Matthew 14:34 this morning. As you turn there, I will share with you. I don't know if there are any anyone any people in here who are rook players. Um, growing up, I spent a lot of time playing rook. It was something we did almost every weekend in the fall and the spring as we gathered with a lot of my dad's friends to go hunting and fishing. We, we played rook every evening, and I, I, get, I came to enjoy that as much as I did the time spent in the woods. I just enjoyed the time spent around the table playing rook. If you're not a rook player, let me just give you a couple, uh, a couple aspects of it just so you know and understand why I share that with you. That rook, the deck of cards is made up of four colors. And instead of having four suits, you have four colors. And there's one card, the rook card. It's got a, a blackbird on it or a crow. I don't know which one it is. But, uh, but anyway, it's the dominant card. It depends on how you play. We played where the rook took everything the, the rook card did. Other people play different ways. But what you need to know as far as this morning we're thinking about is in each hand, when uh, the, the hand begins, you, you kind of bid on how many points you can get. And whoever wins that bid gets the opportunity to determine what trumps are, what color are trumps. And so you say, I, may, I, I put this bid in, I think me and my partner can get this. And when you win that bid, you say, red is trumps. Well, what that means for that hand, red is the dominant color. It beats every other color. And it doesn't matter if you send out the boss card in green, the smallest red will defeat it. And so one of the great times in Rook, if you play, you know this is wonderful, is when someone forgets to count the cards. And they forget how many trumps are out. And they come around and they throw, maybe they throw a 14, which is a pretty powerful card in Rook. They lay down a 14 in green and you're sitting over there and it's your opponent and you're sitting there with a, a little old red and you just kind of go around and you flip the red out and they, oh man, you know, and oh, yeah. Because nothing, nothing beats a trump. The trump wins every time. Well, our passage this morning is a passage in which we have tradition and we have truth. Truth is trumps. Truth is trumps. Tradition never trumps truth. That's what we learned this morning. Tradition never trumps truth. Truth always wins. So we come to the truth of God's word. It doesn't matter what tradition that you or I may hold dear. It doesn't matter how much we like it, how much it warms our heart, how much we enjoy it. It just makes us feel good. Truth trumps it. The truth of God's word will always win out. Let's read the word of God this morning together. Beginning in Matthew 14, verse 34. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And we simply see here in this closing verses of chapter 14 that Jesus is just continuing his ministry. He's continuing to faithfully carry out the task to which the Father sent him, continuing to carry out his ministry. And, and what we'll see as we get into chapter 15, I told you this was going to happen a few weeks ago, as we continue to go, and we're going to see it this morning, 
the, the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes is just going to intensify. And as we come into chapter 15, that is indeed what we see. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father or his mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And we, we come to this passage, and right away in verse 1, we, we should sense the seriousness of what's going on. See, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they come to Jesus, and where do they come from? They come from Jerusalem. There's some weight here. They came from Jerusalem. They weren't just kind of walking through the region. They weren't just visiting. They didn't happen to be there, and Jesus came across them, and he ran into them, and they happened to have a conversation. No, the scribes and the Pharisees left Jerusalem and came to Jesus to confront him. They were the big dogs. They were the head honchos, and so they come here to reprimand Jesus. They came for a reason. They came for a purpose. What was the supposed problem? The supposed problem in verse 2, according to the Pharisees and the scribes, is that Jesus' disciples were breaking the tradition of the elders. They don't, they don't come necessarily confronting Jesus, but in a way they do, because they're coming confronting him saying, hey, you need to give an answer why your disciples are not doing what they should be doing. They're, they're, they're breaking tradition. Why are they breaking tradition? They don't wash their hands when they eat. So the, the, the concern was that tradition was being broken. They weren't concerned with a, a sin issue. They weren't concerned with, with the glory of God being maligned. They were concerned that a tradition, a, a rule, was not being followed. This isn't an issue of, of personal hygiene here. When, when they say, hey, you're, your guys aren't washing their hands, their hands are really dirty, and it's spreading germs, and it's just kind of gross. That's not what they're saying. The, the reason they come, what they're concerned about is ceremonial cleanliness. It's, it's this idea that they have to be clean before they partake of food. And so that's the supposed problem. That's, the, that's what they're confronting Jesus on. Now, I, I just remind you, if you've been with us through our study in Matthew, you might, you might remember in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the back half of Matthew 6, Jesus talks about and teaches about the law, the relation of the law. He says, I don't, I don't come to abolish the law. I don't come to just cast it aside. I, I come as a true fulfillment to, to show what the law truly teaches and intends. And in that passage, you'll remember through our, our study of that, we looked at the, 
the, the reality that what Jesus is doing is he's, he says time and time again, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's referring to is the traditions that the Pharisees and scribes had brought about to, in, in their ter- interpretation of the laws. And so they would take the law and say, okay, this is what it means, and this is, this is the truth, and, and here's how we're going to interpret it, and then the traditions come out of that. And so what the scribes and Pharisees were doing is essentially saying, this is what it says, right? This is what it says. This is how it has to be done. And then that part would get very, very elaborate. So elaborate that what happened oftentimes is what was said was kind of pushed aside and forgotten. And you have left all of these rules and traditions of interpretation of this is how it should be done. This is what it looks like. You should do this and this and that and this. You should go here and there and there. You should wear this and that. You shouldn't do this. And it's all of these interpretations of sometimes just one law from the Word, one portion of Scripture. And what happens is those things would get stepped aside, pushed aside, and this elaborate system of oral traditions come about, traditions that became highly elevated and strictly adhered to, so much so that now the, the Pharisees and scribes have left Jerusalem and come to where Jesus is to confront him that his disciples aren't washing their hands. This, in particular, is drawn from Exodus 30, 17 to 21. That's, that's where in Scripture we read and we find out the law that, that the Lord had instructed Aaron and his sons to wash their hands and feet before nearing the altar. And, and as a matter of fact, in that instance, their very lives depended on this. It was a, a, a dangerous thing to not wash and come before the altar clean. Aaron was a priest. And what had happened is the Pharisees came to apply this and to teach it and to bring about this tradition in such a way that they began not only just applying it and saying, hey, this is what the priests need to continue to do, as the Word says, but instead they took it and said, this is what all of the people need to be doing. And not only do you all need to be doing it, but you also need to all be doing it at all times. So at all times, anytime you eat, anytime you do this, you have to clean this. And it even got more elaborate where it not only pertained to their hands and washing their hands, but then it pertained to the vessels and this and that. And all these different things had to be done for ceremonial cleanliness. That was the problem, the supposed problem, I would say. But what was the actual problem here? What was the actual problem? Look at verse 3. The actual problem, Jesus answers them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? That is the actual problem. The supposed problem in the Pharisees' mind was that, hey, they're not, they're not obeying the tradition. They're not following the code. They're not doing what we think they should do. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not the problem. The, the problem is the fact that you are disobeying Scripture. Now, do you see how quickly, I mean, Jesus just gets right to the point here. Do you see that? They come out and they say, hey, what in the world? Your disciples are breaking tradition. And Jesus doesn't really waste any time here. He doesn't apologize and go, you know, guys, I'm really sorry they don't do that. I know that offends you. It makes you feel bad. I, 
I'm sorry, I'll talk to them and see if they'll do a better job of that, and that way we can just keep on going about our ministry. He doesn't do that, does he? No. He doesn't even address what they ask. He just goes straight at them and says, why are you breaking God's word? Pharisees, scribes, those who memorize and know the word, why are you breaking it? All for the sake of your traditions. Jesus is looking at them and saying, here's the real problem, is that your traditions have come to trump God's truth. And that must never be. Because what? We know that truth always trumps tradition. Tradition never trumps truth. Never. But here it had. And his case in point, his exhibit A is in verses 4 through 6. Jesus gives an example. So let me, let me show you how this is happening. If you're slow here, if you don't see it, let me point it out to you. So he looks at him. He says, here it is. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And he also said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Oh, but you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. Then he needs not honor his father. The, the reality is, is that Jesus looks and he quotes God's word. He quotes that, that first quote there is Exodus 20, 12. The second quote there is Exodus 21, 17. This is just a direct quote from Scripture. He says, listen, here's what the Word of God says. Here is the truth. But what had happened is that the scribes and Pharisees had developed this tradition, and it was known as Corban. And you can look in Mark 7. Mark 7 is the parallel passage, and Mark goes into more detail on this event and what happens than Matthew does. So if you look at Mark 7, starting in verse 1, you can read the parallel passage, and he explains this. And what Corban was, is it was a declaration that I might say, listen, all of, my, all of my savings, all of my money is devoted to God. It's kind of like, a, I guess it would be a living trust. All my savings, everything is devoted to God, and upon my death it will be given to the temple. And until that time it can't be used for anything else. It's for me, it's here. And so they did that, and so then instead of supporting their family, instead of supporting their parents with that money and helping them, they said, oh no, I, I, I can't help you. That's Corman, that's been devoted to the Lord. Sorry. Oh, it's a very spiritual sounding thing, isn't it? I've devoted this to God. And Jesus says, listen, what's happened is you've, you've kind of brought this about, you've, you've manufactured, you've created this tradition, this idea, and what it's doing is you're, you're seeming very spiritual, but in the process of that, you're violating two commands. You're violating the command to, to honor your mother and father. And, and you're, you're totally ignoring the fact that Scripture says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Have you forgotten these things? Has your tradition trumped? The very word of God? And Jesus is speaking very harshly here, very bluntly, I should say. Maybe not harshly. He's speaking very bluntly to them. Now, I want to just make a side note here that I think we, we just need to observe at this point. And it's a little bit of a rabbit, but I think it needs to be said. We need to see here and remember the importance in God's word and to God for children to honor their parents. 
And what we see here, that honoring of parents doesn't stop at the age of 18. Honoring of parents is something that I'm still called to do. I should still honor my mother and my father. This is an important thing in God's Word. I mean, one of the Ten Commandments we already read and saw is to honor your mother and father. We already heard Jesus quote that in, in Exodus 21 that to not do so carries a high penalty, death. That's a high penalty. In 2 Timothy 3.2, disobedience to parents is listed among a list of vices and sins as a sign of ungodliness. We even, we even read, I was read this to you in, in 1 Timothy 5. We think about, like, in a position where I am, as my, my parents get older. In 1 Timothy 5, we read this honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Make some return to their parents. It's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. We don't grow out of that. Children, youth, you, you need to understand that in Scripture, God makes very clear that honoring your mother and father, obeying your parents is important. It is very important. So this kind of flippant attitude towards obeying mom and dad, that's ungodliness, and it's sin. And we see that. We're just reminded of that here as Jesus pulls this as an example. Well, why is it a problem? Why, why is this tradition a problem? Look at the tail end of verse 6 there. Chapter 15, verse 6. Why is that tradition, the tradition of Corbin, the tradition that they uphold that's causing them to disobey the commandments of God. Why is it important? Verse 6, he says, So, for this reason, the sake of your tradition, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the Word of God. For the sake of your tradition, you've made void the Word of God. Now, I would point out here, I think it needs to be pointed out, that Jesus doesn't say that all traditions are sinful. We look at this passage, he doesn't say you should have no traditions. Traditions are sinful. He doesn't say that, does he? Traditions in and of themselves are not sinful. They're traditions that we hold dear, right? Maybe as, as a family, maybe you have family traditions, maybe, uh, maybe you have a traditions that we do here that you enjoy. I would say there's several traditions, things that we do yearly, some that we do even weekly, right, as a church, Jesus is not saying that, that just the fact of having traditions that sin and you can't have any traditions. No, he's not saying that. Traditions in and of themselves aren't sinful. As a matter of fact, most traditions, not all of them, but a lot of traditions begin with pretty good intentions. 
with good motives because they're meaningful to us. Perhaps they, they bring us, they draw us close to the Lord and it, it impacted us in some way. We want to see that or do that again. It's not just the tradition that's a problem. The reason that it's a problem, the reason that the tradition is a problem is the over-elevation of the tradition. When the tradition rises in importance above the Word of God. When traditions are over-elevated, traditions trump truth. But as we said in the beginning, traditions never trump truth. Truth always wins. It always wins. Traditions must not trump truth. We must not come to the point where we value our traditions more than we value truth. And what happens when that happens, what occurs is that when tradition trumps truth, then tradition becomes transgression. Okay? Tradition becomes transgression in that moment. There's a, a scholar who points that out, and he, he describes three ways in which traditions become transgressions. I want to just share these, these points he shared. I, I want to just take some time out of the Scriptures here to elaborate on them. He says the first one is this. Traditions become transgressions when they are valued above Scripture. When they're valued above Scripture. The, the traditions of the Pharisees here had risen to such importance that the people became more concerned about those traditions than they did about the very Word of God. And when traditions are valued above Scripture, two things happen. We see it right here in the text. Two things happen when traditions valued above Scripture. First, it causes us to disobey to transgress against the commandments of the Lord. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, that's the problem, the true and actual problem. Jesus says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? They were violating the Word of God. It, it wasn't just that it was overinflated or overelevated. It was leading them to sin. It lead them, led them to disobey. And so the first thing that happens is it causes us to disobey. It causes us to transgress when traditions are elevated above Scripture. The second thing is it causes us to make void the Word of God. To make void the Word of God. That, that simply means to invalidate the authority of it or to, to nullify it. When Jesus says that in verse 6, he says, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the Word of God. You've nullified the Word of God. You've, you've, you've invalidated the authority of it. Brothers and sisters, Scripture is the authority, not tradition. We submit to the truth of God's Word. We submit to Scripture, not some tradition that we enjoy. We must not value traditions over the Word of God when we do. We invalidate the authority of Scripture. Parents, this is, this is serious. If there's a tradition that you hold so dearly that that's what you prize and you keep moving to that, moving to that, and you neglect Scripture for the sake of that tradition, whatever it may be, what you're teaching your children is that the Word of God is less important than your tradition. You've elevated tradition over truth. You can fill in the blank in what that tradition may be. But if that tradition leads you away from a clear commandment of the Lord, then that tradition has become transgression. Now, when might that happen? 
When might this occur for us? Maybe it's something as simple as this is traditionally what we wear to church. And if someone doesn't wear what we wear, then my goodness, we may not even sit by them. We may not talk to them. I may not walk across the room to introduce them. That's not loving our neighbor well. That tradition elevated over God's call to love neighbor. Maybe it's a tradition of we prize the size of an event. And the size of the event becomes the determining factor over the success of it, regardless of whether the Word of God is preached, whether the Word of God is preached in truth, Maybe we so prize the number of responses that we're able to generate that that becomes the standard and every year we go and we do because this many responses and, and then all of a sudden our measuring stick of whether this is good and we keep doing it is if we can generate enough people coming to the front of the auditorium or coming to the front here at the steps or coming to the front of wherever that event is. We don't worry about what's preached. Is it preached with integrity? Is it preached with truth? Is it honoring the Lord? Is the name of Christ exalted? We're just worried about getting numbers and responses and people gathering and lifting their hands. Maybe it's a tradition of emotions that I gather and I just feel this warm emotional experience. I just love that feeling and people around me are weeping and it was so emotionally moving. Was the word preached? I don't know. Oh, but it was incredible. The Lord showed up. He just forgot to bring Scripture with him. Or maybe it's when we're so consumed by doing what's always done doing things the way it's always been done, the way we've always done them. We're so set on being comfortable in gathering the way we've always gathered, the time we've always gathered, doing what we've always done. We're so focused on that and staying comfortable and happy that we neglect the call to make disciples in our community, to take the gospel to the nations. Oh, why? <laughs> We can't sacrifice that. That would mean we don't have enough money to spend here in our sanctuary. Could that tradition perhaps be greater than the command to go and make disciples? It can happen. The second way that trans tradition may become transgression is this, is that traditions become transgression when they focus on what is outside rather than on what is inside. Traditions become transgressions when they focus on the outside more than they do the inside. What is Jesus' conclusion? Look at verse 7 and 8. What is his conclusion? That this is what's happened, right? For the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. And, and what does he say? You hypocrites! You hypocrites now don't don't miss how bold and how shocking this would have been 
If you're standing there in this moment and you're hearing this one Jesus who's come and he's, he's teaching and he's preaching and you've got these men, these kind of upper echelon of Judaism, the head honchos, these guys who were the most revered, most religious men among the Jews, they've come and, and Jesus looks them in the eye and says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. You're playing a game. You're wearing a mask. Oh, you look spiritual. Yeah, you do. You look really spiritual, but you completely missed it. Your tradition is trumping truth, and that never should happen. It should never happen. He looks them boldly in the eye and says, you are a hypocrite. Why? Because their external piety lacked internal sincerity. That's the problem. They were more focused on what was on the outside instead of what is on the inside. And what we have to see is that carrying out external religious traditions without a true heart of worship is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. If we just carry out these religious traditions, but our heart is never there, we're being hypocrites. We're coming looking all pious. And the question we have to ask when we read a passage like this is, am I a hypocrite? Am I feigning spirituality? And I say, oh, look at me. Look how spiritual I am. I'm, I'm gathering. But yet my heart is not there. Listen, you may, you may be, be the most Baptist of Baptists in the room. I mean, you may be like Mr. Baptist. It's your middle name. It's stamped on you. It's not tattooed, right? We don't do that. It's stamped on you. But you know what? If your heart's not there, if it's all just external piety with no internal sincerity, then all you are is a Baptist hypocrite. It's all you are. It doesn't matter how Baptist you look. It doesn't matter. You've missed it. You've allowed Baptist tradition to trump biblical truth. And that must not, it cannot happen. We must prioritize heart devotion. We must look to Christ and look to Him with our heart and prioritize that over the appearance of religious sincerity. True religion, true worship will always begin in and engage with the heart. It will. Otherwise, we're just coming and we're gathering and we're doing things void of the heart. We're missing it. It's vain. It's empty. It's false. It's hypocritical. I want to read to you a passage. You can turn over there if you want in Luke 11. Luke 11, if you just flip a few Gospels over, you can just listen. But it's a similar question. The same issue comes up with a Pharisee and, and a lawyer. And, and listen to what Jesus says. In Luke 11, this is verse 37, Jesus is, is speaking, and, and, and he, he encounters in this conversation with a Pharisee. Luke 11, verse 37 says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see what? That he did not first wash before dinner. There it is again. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But... Give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is calling him out. No, you're, you're so concerned, again, with this ceremonial, this external cleanliness, but your heart is wicked. 
Your heart is far from him. Look at verse 41. Essentially, what he's saying here is give your heart. Give your heart. He says, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Don't just come and give the external. Don't just focus on the external. Don't just be religious. Draw near to God in your heart. I mean, do you remember the greatest commandment according to Christ? You remember when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't say, well, the greatest commandment is to raise your hand while you sing. He doesn't say that the greatest commandment is to, to come before Christians and to pray these super spiritual prayers with big words, impressive these and thous. He doesn't say that to be, that to, or to have the greatest commandment, to, the greatest commandment is to sing in the choir. He doesn't say that the greatest commandment is to, to go to Canada or to Utah or to anywhere else in the world, mission trips. That's not the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is not to cling to hymns so we don't lose the hymns. Or let's go with the new. Let's sing the new stuff so we can reach the coming generation. It's not the greatest commandment. Neither were those are. He didn't say the greatest commandment is to go to Sunday school. He didn't say the greatest commandment is to read all sorts of theology and know the books and be able to talk with the greatest and highest intellect of theology. What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. With what? All your heart, soul, and strength. The greatest commandment is a wholehearted love for God. And if we miss that, we're walking in hypocrisy. It always comes back to the heart. This whole passage, 15, 1, all the way through 20. This is really part 1. Next week will be part 2. It's dealing with the heart. It's dealing with the heart. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says about the heart. He says, The heart must be the principal point to which we attend in all the relations between God and our souls. What is the first thing we need in order to be a Christian? A new heart. What's the sacrifice God asks us to bring to Him? A broken and contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey from the heart. What is genuine, or I'm sorry, what is saving faith? To believe with the heart. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. It's the heart. Tradition becomes transgression when it neglects the heart and only looks at the external. Third, Tradition becomes transgression when it makes worship hollow. Tradition becomes transgression when it makes worship hollow. We considered that and meditated on it from John. John 4, 23 to 24 is where, where Jesus talks about that, that God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. Heart Soul worship. We genuinely worship Him. We're not just coming in. We're not just mouthing words. We're not just mindlessly singing something. We're not coming in and going, wow, I'll sing this if I like it. I won't sing that if I don't like it. 
We're not coming in and just sitting there and looking nice and putting on our Sunday best to impress people down the road. We're not coming in to try to impress people with our voices. How incredible it is that we can hit that note and you can't. We're not coming in to impress what great skill the musicians play. We're coming in to worship with all we are. We're not coming in to check a box, an attendance sheet, to make sure we have enough credits when we get to heaven. Hopefully we're, we're coming to worship. And so the question I think we have to ask is, why did I come today? Why did you come today? Did you come to church? Or did you come to worship? There's a difference. It's a big difference. Why are you here? The traditions make worship hollow. When we gather because we enjoy the tradition more than because we worship Christ. We can pick on a really easy example at this point. Easter, Christmas Eve. Oh, we love those traditions, don't we? Don't we love coming on Good Friday? Don't we love gathering for Easter? Oh, Christmas Eve. Wow. Oh, how easy those traditions can lead to empty worship. Here's a question. Would you be just as content to gather on Christmas Eve if all we did was sing Christmas carols and never called you to worship and open Scripture? Would that be problematic? I hope you would sit there and say, yeah, I would. I hope you say, I expect when we come, we are going to exalt the name of Christ. And we love gathering on Christmas Eve because we are celebrating with great anticipation the coming of the Son of God. And we rejoice in His great love and sending Him. And we gather on Easter and we gather on our Tenebrae service not because of the way it makes us feel or just that it's a different service or we enjoy it, but we gather because we're remembering the work of Christ on the cross. We grieve over the suffering that He went through on our behalf because of our sin. And then we gather on Easter because it's a supreme celebration of the risen Christ who rose for us conquering death. We celebrate and we worship Him. We worship Him. I hope that's why we gather. You know, the people of God have had this problem for years. And we can easily allow traditions to take precedent. We can easily allow them to become too important and too elevated. We're not immune to that. And Ezekiel had to confront the people. 
Ezekiel confronted the people. In Ezekiel 33, listen to this. He has to confront the people of God. And it's, it's interesting because what was going on, the, the people of God are gathering, and they're gathering, and they're listening to him, and they're hearing him speak and pronounce judgment on the surrounding nations. He's calling them out. And the people, they gather. Oh, yeah, they like it. They like it. But they sure weren't gathering with their heart. They sure weren't gathering in true worship of the Lord in submission to scriptures. Listen to this. God says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, Come, hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say. Sounds good, doesn't it? But they will not do it. Why? For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, and their heart is set on their gain. They weren't coming to worship. They were set on their own heart and what they might gain from coming. They weren't coming to hear what the Lord had to speak to them. And behold, he says, behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. He says, Ezekiel, hey, listen, people are gathering. You know why they're gathering? They're gathering because they enjoy what you're hearing to the other nations. But they don't want to hear what the Word says to them. You want to know the modern-day equivalent of this? is the number of people who would come in and fill churches on any given Sunday and give a hearty amen to culture being called out. A hearty amen to they're doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. Amen! Preach it, preacher. None of y'all have ever said that here. Preach it, preacher. Totally out of context. I'd probably fall over if you did that. But man, you're ready. And in your, in your mind, amen, yeah, oh yeah, they shouldn't be doing that, amen. I can't believe they're doing that, amen, amen. But buddy, if you step on my toes, step back. We're totally good with talking about others. I don't really want to consider what it may mean for me. I, I would rather be just kind of a connoisseur of good sermon. That's vain, hollow, empty, meaningless worship there. That's what he says Isaiah addressed. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? This people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines and commandments of men. Could I come in here and teach all these traditions, make all these statements of, yeah, that's how it should be. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And you just get with it. Void of the Word of God? Would we be okay with that? I hope not. I hope you would stand up and say, hey, listen, we want the Word of God. We want Scripture. We want to exalt the name of Christ. We're not wanting you to hear and, and use this as a platform to, to speak your political agenda. That's not the point of this. 
I hope we would gather, and we would, we would gather not just with our lips, not just in, in external piety, but that our heart would be near to Him, that we couldn't have this said, that Isaiah said in Isaiah 29, 13, we couldn't hear that spoken of us, that this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And may that never be said of us. May it never be said that the people of Grace Baptist, oh, they look great. They have wonderful traditions. They honor me with their lips. They say such wonderful things. They have wonderful music. They have wonderful ministries. They have a beautiful building. Oh, it's so great. Oh, but their heart's far from me. May that never be said of us. Let us always seek to draw near to Christ in heart. Let me just leave you with three quick ways Three quick ways that we can make sure tradition does not become transgression because we all are prone to allowing tradition to do that. It's very easy. We could elevate tradition very quickly. Very quickly. Here's the first way is we need to frequently examine our own hearts. We need to frequently examine our own hearts. We need to to strive to maintain a spirit of humility. Understanding that, you know what, I'm, I'm not immune. There, there are things that we do that I like to do. And, and that if you said, I don't think we should do those anymore, I'd be like, oh, are you serious? I think we need to. And it may just be tradition that I like. I need to examine my own heart. Tradition can captivate the best of us. The second thing is we need to be students of God's Word. We need to know the Word. If we don't know the Word, then how are we going to know if a tradition is causing us to violate or to break the Word? We have to be students of the Word. Know the Word, study the Word, read the Word. So that you'll know, so that I'll know if a tradition is causing me to sin against God. And then third, prize what God prizes in Scripture above all else. Prize the things that God prizes. That's built on the second one. If we know the Word, then we'll know what God prizes. We'll know what He elevates. We'll know what's important. Prize the things that the Lord prizes. Prize the things, like in 1 Corinthians 10.31, prize His glory above all things. In Jude 3, prize the teaching of sound and right doctrine. Psalm 119, the, the longest chapter of Scripture, prize the Word of God. Prize His holy Word. Matthew 22, prize the love of neighbor, that you would love others well. Or John 13, 34, prize the love of one another in the body of Christ, that we would love one another as Christ has loved us. Prize the things that God prizes. Study the words so that you would know what he prizes and that you would know what it means to pursue him. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. I've got to examine my heart. Simple ways. Simple ways. I want to cr- close by letting you hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 7. Paul begins this letter to Timothy, and as he does, he, he begins by making a, you know, this incredible statement that we read earlier about the gospel, but But previously, he urges Timothy. He appeals to him and how he's going to carry out his ministry. I want you to hear what Paul says. 
Paul says certain, or charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, Paul says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim of our charge, did you hear that? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul knows how quickly tradition can come in and rule. He knows how quickly we can allow it to trump truth. Even Timothy is not immune. Even the leaders of the church aren't immune. And he looks at Timothy and he says, I want you to charge certain people not to get caught up in all these myths, in other doctrines. Oh, what was Jesus talking about? The doctrines of man rather than the doctrine of God. Don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in myths and speculation. The aim of our charge is what? Is love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. May that be who we are. May our traditions ever elevate God and His Word. May they ever cause our hearts to long for Him. May we ever gather in heartfelt worship as a people of God. May we ever hold to the truth of God's Word and be consumed with a love for Him that issues forth from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Our worship team is going to come up and close us out this morning. And what I want us to do this morning is, as they do, I want to just invite you to spend a few moments in prayer. Self-examination. Right where you are, just bow your head and close your eyes and just take a few moments just to pray. To seek the Lord and to ask God to examine your heart. Ask God in, in genuine humility, God, is there any areas in my life where traditions trumping truth or something I enjoy, something I prefer, a way I think something should be done is elevated above your word. Just spend some time in prayer asking God to guard your heart, asking God to draw you near, and perhaps confessing sin to Him. In a moment, I'm going to read a prayer from the Valley of Vision to close us, and then we will stand and we'll sing, Lord, have mercy. Let's pray together.